There we go. Sorry, Jake. Thanks, Liz, for reading that this morning. And good morning, Restoration. My name is Keske Dota. I'm a recent Covenant Seminary grad. And my wife and I are preparing to go back to Japan next summer. We are PMI missionaries. And so if any of you guys are interested in ministry in Japan, what's going on over there, or know of anybody that uh, is interested, please let us know. We'd love to talk more about it. So this morning, we'll be taking a little break from 1 Thessalonians, and we'll be looking at several places in the Bible as we talk about the calling that Christians receive to share the gospel. As we just read in Matthew 5, Jesus calls his followers to be a light to others around us, and our hope through this is that they will come to know the true light in Jesus himself. And throughout scriptures, we see in a lot of places that there is this calling for believers to share the gospel to those who have not yet received it. And it's also clear that God provides the means for them, and he is the one who is doing the work. So when we think about this topic of sharing the gospel, I think all of us have different feelings towards it. You know, some of you uh, might feel you know, um, like excited or confident and that you're gifted at it, and that's awesome. Others of us may feel a little hesitant or nervous, you know, might have even thought like, oh, wait, I thought that was the pastor or the ministry leader's job. But wherever you're feeling, whatever you're feeling this morning, my hope today is that God will both encourage us and exhort us as we consider and think about this topic that God calls us to do in sharing the gospel. So before we start, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that um, you give us your word so that we can learn from you and get to know you. Thank you that you're a gracious God. I pray that you open our hearts and our ears as we listen to your word this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So one of my favorite documentaries is called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Some of you guys may have seen it before, but I've seen it multiple times, and every time I see it, you know, the cinematography and, um, is beautiful, and I can just see the fatty tuna just coming out of my screen, and it's kind of like torture. But I'm not here to talk about sushi. I'd love to, but the documentary uh, follows this man, sushi chef named Jiro, He's in his mid-70s. He has a restaurant in downtown Tokyo, which fits maybe about 10-ish people. And he's won three Michelin stars for the past 10 years straight. And of course, he has apprentices under him who's learning and working with him. But the apprentices, even after the apprentices that's worked there maybe like t over 20 years, they still are, um, they can only allow, they're only allowed to do apprentice duties, such as you know, making eggs or roasting the seaweed or mopping the floor. And in regards to making the sushi, Jiro is the only one who is allowed to make the sushi because, I mean, he's the best at it. He's got the most experience, and he's revered for it. And as I think about why it's hard for us to share the gospel, I thought about how in our culture, we can be infatuated with professionalism and the art of mastery no matter what it is. And in order to feel confident and adequate to do something well, we feel like we need to spend years in formal training or years in mastering and getting experience. And I think we can think like this in terms of evangelism as well. And we may view ourselves in a way like our student or we learn under the pastors or the ministry leaders. And when it comes to evangelizing or sharing the gospel, we can just refer them. We refer our non-Christian friends or family members to the pastors and the ministry leaders who are quote-unquote professionals at doing the job, right? I think it's because internally we don't feel qualified. We may feel like we just don't know enough about the Bible, feel like we don't have all the answers, and we just don't want to say the wrong things. And I really 
resonated with this, and that's one of the biggest reasons why uh, my wife and I moved from Japan and came to seminary, because I believe these things that I just explained, that professionalism is a big deal, especially in Japan, and it has seeped into the church. So I thought in order to share the gospel, I had to get formal training, and while, of course, that helps, knowing and learning more about the Word of God and himself helps in doing so, but ultimately... It's ironic because, uh, you know, I came to seminary to feel like I could, be, and I could be adequate in sharing the gospel, but learning that ultimately sharing the gospel does not depend on how well you or I present the gospel in this eloquent and winsome way, but is the work of God that changes people's hearts and brings them to himself. But God, for some mysterious reasons, he decided to use his people, to work through his people so those who don't already will come to know him. And this was always his plan from the beginning, starting from Genesis 1:26 through 28. This is a passage that scholars call the cultural mandate, but it talks about how man had made an image of God, and before the fall, right after God created man, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And when that didn't work, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, Go from your country, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so it went throughout the Bible that God continuously chose chose to work through his people so that the world may know him. And he chose those who seemed unfit for the job and those who felt inadequate. So fast forward thousands of years now, it was believers in 2021. The call is still the same for us now, and the provision is still there for us too. And we can feel inadequate, and we can feel at times it's up to us alone in this, but God is the one who is sufficient for the work, and we are called to trust in his provision, that it is God's work and not ours, and keeps this as the foundation. And I think that will help us as we think about our call to share the gospel to others. So because God sends us out as light to the world, we must trust in his provision for us today. So it'll be a two-point sermon today. The first one is we must trust in his provision despite feeling inadequate. And the second one being we must trust in his provision despite feeling alone. And we'll close with how Jesus provides those things. So as I shared earlier, one of the reasons why I came here to seminary in St. Louis because I felt inadequate in sharing the gospel. And I think that we have the tendency of thinking that sharing the gospel equals converting people to Christianity. That it's up to us whether or not these neighbors or family members or our friends will come to know God. So with that kind of pressure, we can be hesitant. I was very hesitant. Hesitant because, you know, we may say the wrong things. Hesitant because we feel like we don't know enough. Or simply, we just don't want the relationship that we have to change because we talked about spiritual things or our faith and offend them. And as I was thinking about how how much of this is cultural, how much of this is biblical, I began to see a lot of passages that, you know, that kind of proves that it's not actually biblical. So we'll look look through these passages today, starting at Matthew 4, 18 through 19. This is where Jesus calls one of his first disciples. Matthew 4, 18 through 19 says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
So we see here one of Jesus' first disciples were fishermen, and these were not people you would think that are qualified or equipped or trained or have the experience in the Old Testament at that time. And of course, there were hundreds of Pharisaic Jewish teachers who knew the Old Testament like the back of their hands, but Jesus didn't choose them. He chose the fishermen who were ordinary, hardworking, not the most influential people as his disciples. And what's also interesting here to consider is in the context in those days, that normal pattern at that time was for the prospective disciples to approach a teacher and ask, ask to study with him. And I think that's pretty normal for us at, now, too. We don't expect a professional, the master, to approach the follower and say, you know, follow me and I'll teach you all the things that I know, right? But here Jesus comes and takes the initiative to seek out and give a call for these fishermen to be his disciples and, into, and to enter into a relationship with him. So why did Jesus choose the fishermen and not somebody more qualified? People who were there who followed vigorously the law and what the Old Testament taught and who the world would think that would make sense for them to be, to, to, for them to be Jesus' disciples. But what we do see, which should be encouraging to us now, is that he chooses those who are not qualified, those who are despised, and those who are not influential to show that it's his work and not ours. And all we need to do is follow him, and he shows the work that he has called them to do. So even if you feel inadequate, we can rest in Jesus choosing us as a Christian to share the gospel because he is the one who's adequate. And we must remember that it is by the work of the Holy Spirit that will change people's hearts and not our eloquent communication skills or our credentials. There's a man named Tatsuya Shindo, and from the age of 20, Shindo would smuggle drugs and stimulants in and around Tokyo for a nationwide Yakuza group. Yakuza is a Japanese cartel, Japanese mafia. And by the age of 30, he was the acting boss for one of the largest Yakuza organizations in Japan. He was arrested 15 times, he was convicted seven times, was imprisoned three times. And on his third imprisonment, where his own Yakuza group had excommunicated him for his actions, the Lord met him through a Bible that was given to him in prison. And after he was released, he vowed to live a different life, follow God, and studied at a seminary and became a pastor and is now preaching to those who are outcasts of society, like former yakuzas and former criminals. This is an amazing illustration or example of how God chooses people that we would think never in a million years would become pastors and be preaching the gospel. Right? So for those of you who, feel, who may be feeling inadequate to share the gospel, I want to ask, when was the last time you had an opportunity to share the gospel or have conversations about your faith, but you were hesitant because you felt like you just didn't know enough or have what it takes? And I'm not asking to shame you or make you feel bad, but how would it change knowing that Jesus has promised himself to be with us and that it is his work and not ours? And I say this knowing it's hard. I have two older sisters, and uh, both of them are not believers. And I had a conversation with one of them uh, this past year talking about how her life had been really hard because she lost her job. She has not even changed careers in her late 30s. <clears throat> uh, she has pre-existing conditions, so COVID was a little bit more scary for her. 
And on top of that, she had been dating uh, her boyfriend for over 10 years, and he lived in another country, so she actually can't see him. She hadn't been able to see him this whole time the pandemic started. So she was really in a bad place. And you know what she told my wife and I <laughs> is, she said, you guys are lucky because you have your faith. You have hope to cling to, but I don't. And in that moment, rather than asking her what led her to, to ask that or to say that, or even asked her if she would like to talk about our hope and our faith that is offered to her as well, because of our past and because of just the relationship, like with the conversations previously that I've had with her, I knew it was going to be a hard conversation, an awkward conversation. So I just decided to not say anything. I chose to not have a confrontational conversation just for my comfort. And I think about that moment and many other moments how I failed to share the gospel and think about what if I trusted that regardless of how awkward or bad it would have been, what if I trusted that God's work would work in those moments? And I pray that God will both change your heart and show us that it's his work and not ours. So I want to exhort you all to trust in Christ's word and trust that he is active through all the opportunities that may come your way. And our job is to be faithful in those opportunities. Now, you may be thinking, if only Jesus was physically with me, it would be easier, right? Learning under Jesus, that would be pretty awesome, right? Be his disciples. And some of you may feel, you know, not only inadequate, but feel like, I just don't have the gifts to, to this compared to someone else. Well, let's look at the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 4. Here's a story where God is calling Moses to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. And God reveals himself in the burning bush and dialogues with Moses about his plans. So Moses, upon hearing the call, tells God in verse 10 of chapter 4, he says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And God replies, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And stubborn Moses, he doesn't stop. He, he doesn't want anything to do with this. He says, you know, oh, Lord, please send someone else. Talk about feeling inadequate here, right? And Moses argues with God, pretty much saying that he's not fit for the job. But the Lord replies and says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. And behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So we see that not only does God comfort us by saying, or comforts Moses, saying, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say, he also sends Aaron, his brother, a physical human being, to be his spokesperson so that he would have another person to go on this mission. And we see this throughout the Bible, how God provides in a lot of different ways for his people, and another way we see it is how he provides community to his people. We see it through the early church right after the ascension of Jesus. As I shared earlier, my wife and I are going, planning to go back to Japan, and it's encouraging to see some of the similarities between the Japanese church and the early church and how God provided for them and how the church grew. To give the context, the early church, they were treated as a minority group within society, and there were many other religions out there that believed different gods and goddesses, so it was pretty normal that people believed in a god. 
However, Christians were also expected to worship these false gods and false idols. And if they didn't, it kind of messed up with the social order. And so they were kind of shunned when Christians stopped worshiping other idols and other gods. And when you think about it, many of those people who were converted to Christianity, they were once worshiping these false gods and idols. And when they stopped, their relationships with their families, their friends, society, they were thought of, they were an outcast. And they were thought of as this weird cult, talking about the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And some people thought they were carnivores. And some would accuse them of incest because they would call each other brothers and sisters. So they were definitely excluded from circles of influence and business. And they were being persecuted. But they were growing rapidly. And we see that in the end of Acts 2. But the church was growing rapidly. And why? It's because of the beauty of the gospel and the faithfulness of the early church being a light to the dark world, showing Christ's love patiently led to the growth. They didn't retaliate to being persecuted. Instead, they chose forgiveness. They chose to love their enemies, even those who were killing them. Christians were unusually generous with their money, giving to the poor and needy, not just to their own family and racial group, but foreigners to sojourners, which was very uncommon in those days. They got together and had meals together and prayed for one another and welcomed those who didn't know Christ. And the most important part, while every other religion offered some version of salvation through works, Christians shared the gospel which promises full assurance of salvation since it is by grace and not works. And by Christ's works, we are saved. And the encouraging thing is that although they were suffering, God provided community which grew the church and saved more and more people. One of the biggest reasons why my wife and I decided to call Restoration our home church when we first moved to St. Louis is because of how welcoming and hospitable and caring this church was to us. And I believe God has really gifted this church in that way, and I want to encourage you guys to keep doing what you're doing, and, but also consider how you can bring this welcoming and loving community with you outside of these doors. How can you both connect with non-believers and communicate gospel truths in the context of these relationships? And who are the people in this church community who can pray with you and who can walk alongside both you and your non-Christian friends, family in this journey? God has provided us in this church with people just like he provided Moses with Aaron who can encourage one another, who have different strengths and gifts, who can share in this mission together. So when we feel weak and inadequate, we can know that God provides us with his people as we continue to seek to be faithful in the calling that he has called us to do. And lastly, I want to end with the ultimate provision that God has given us in Jesus Christ. In John 17, 14 through 20, this is Jesus' prayer that he prays right before he is arrested, put on trial, and sent to the cross. He prays this, starting in chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. There's a lot in here, and I'm going to only uh, touch on a couple of things. But Jesus, even as he knew he was about to be put to death, he was praying on behalf of his disciples and praying for those who believe in his word. And what is striking here is that Jesus prays in verse 15 for his people not to be taken out from the world, but for the Father to keep them from the evil one. Because he understands that being in this world, sometimes we're going to feel down in the midst of hardship. We're going to experience suffering. We're going to feel like we just want to withdraw from the world. We don't want anything to do with it. Back home in my context in Japan, there are barely any Christians. And it's easy during the week to just blend in uh, at your jobs and at your work and keep your faith private. And on Sundays, we can finally you know, pray and experience community with fellow believers, which is not in itself a bad thing. But Jesus, knowing the struggle, prays for protection from the evil one as his people remain in the world because our call as believers is to be in this world instead of withdrawing from it and to be his light, living out the good works that he has called us to do. And he consecrates himself on our behalf so that not only are we saved, but he provides a means for us to share the gospel to those who do not know the Lord. And verse 20 continues to emphasize that he uses his people for this mission. He prays in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And there here is speaking about the disciples. And because of their faithful work through Christ empowering them, the early church grew and they preached to the Gentiles and centuries later led to us hearing the gospel and coming to know Christ. So Jesus did not just stop at praying for his disciples, but he prayed for those who will come to know him through the ministering of the gospel by his disciples. He was already praying for us. Sharing the gospel is not easy. For some, it may cost us relationships with our families, it may cost us friends at school, promotions in our jobs. People in other places of the world, it can cost them their lives. But if I can encourage you, have hope in God's provision because he sent his son to come down and be inadequate in the eyes of the world to experience being alone and abandoned by the Father, and it cost him his life so sinners like you and I can have eternal life and be a light to others, share the good news so more people can have the hope to cling to. And he asks us to be faithful in our calling. I talked about in the beginning, Genesis, where the purpose for Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So where are we headed? In Revelation 7, it says, A great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every tongue and every tribe and all the nations proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And we are part of this story. And it's what's important to remember from the Apostles Paul's words is that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not our doing, but it's a gift from God and not a result of works. And God created us in Christ Jesus as his worksmanship to good works, to do good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, for mysterious reasons, decided to use his people as his instruments 
And he calls us and sends us out to be a light for those who are in need. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your provision and for your grace that you have gifted us with. Thank you that you send your Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf so that we can come to know you. I pray that you will help us be faithful to you in this midst of hard um, call that you have given us, but thank you for your provision that you provide for us daily. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.